Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about radiotherapy for lung cancer with Dr. Henry Park. Dr. Park is an assistant professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Henry, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and and what you do. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I grew up in Jersey and first came to Yale as a college student uh, in, two, in uh, about 18 years ago now. I stayed at Yale uh, for medical school and moved to Boston for two years. Uh, and then I, uh, I, f- I focused on uh, public health. Uh, I got a master's degree in public health over at Harvard. Uh, and then I stayed there for, for my medical internship. I then returned to Yale about uh, probably about eight years ago now uh, for my radiation oncology residency and joined the faculty about four years ago. So as a radiation oncologist, I specialize in helping patients who have a cancer diagnosis to figure out if radiation therapy is the right choice for them. I focus primarily on treating patients with lung cancer as well as those with head and neck cancer. And I see patients in New Haven and in Waterford. I help to manage their care throughout the course of their radiation therapy and really work with the surgeons and the medical oncologists together as a team to try to figure out what are the best uh, recommendations that we can give for each individual patient. So, so Henry, let's talk a little bit more about uh, lung cancer and how it's treated. I mean, for many of our listeners, there may be questions about, you know, how exactly we decide, you know, whether a patient should be treated with surgery or with chemotherapy or with radiotherapy or with a combination of, of all three or two of the three. Can tell us more about how those decisions are made. Absolutely. Uh, It's a very complex discussion we have often with the patients, uh, as well as each of us, uh, from the surgeons and the medical oncologists, as well as the radiation oncologists. Uh, We meet once a week at a lung tumor board, uh, which is every Monday we get together and uh, discuss uh, any situations that might be challenging for us to to decide what the right uh, combination or or treatment is. Uh, The the overarching goal, though, is to be individualized with, uh, with how we, we, we make recommendations um, and to make sure that we're meeting the goals of the patient uh, as well. Um, so we want to uh, really focus on that primarily. Uh, radiation uh, specifically is a non-invasive and invisible as well as very precise way of treating many kinds of cancers. Uh, and, and for lung cancer specifically, um, is very useful in in multiple different kind of contexts. And it really depends a lot on the stage of disease, uh, as well as the patient's status, uh, health status, uh, and goals. Uh, so for example, uh, for stage one lung cancer, or when the disease is very localized, um, and uh, you know we, we really often choose between surgery and radiation therapy for a patient uh, to try to figure out how best to cure their cancer. Um, so we've uh, found over time that this technique called SBRT, or stereotactic body radi- radiation therapy, serves as an excellent alternative to surgery in certain patients. Uh, we use a high dose uh, of radiation per session over just three to five treatments um, using this, uh, this very precise technique in order to target uh, these uh, small localized lung tumors um, and then to, to try to eliminate them completely. 
but for more locally advanced disease, uh, we have to make the decision about uh, how to, uh, about whether or not we need to use chemotherapy with radiation together. Often we will need uh, lower doses of radiation each day and spread out over multiple weeks of daily treatment in order to, uh, to be able to treat larger volumes of disease, especially when the disease has spread to the lymph nodes. Uh, we still uh, we still do this with a curative intent most of the time, um, but sometimes we uh, decide that uh, there's there's some situations where chemotherapy first is helpful, followed by surgery. Other times, when you do chemo radiation, um, meaning chemotherapy and radiation therapy together. Other times, chemo and radiation followed by surgery. Uh, so there really are multiple options that, depending on exactly where the tumor is and how it's spread, and what we think each patient can tolerate in terms of the treatment. Uh, we uh, often really have to make those recommendations and discuss those options with each patient. So, you know, getting back to where you started with early stage breast cancer, stage one, you know, when you, you said, well, we need to make the decision about using SBRT versus surgery, Gosh, you know, it sounds to me like many patients may opt for SBRT if these two are equivalent. Here you have radiation therapy, which is non-invasive, painless, three to five days, I believe you said, versus surgery, which is clearly invasive, often will result in a hospital stay. Um, so are these really equivalent? And, and therefore, or, or does it sound like one is superior to the other? I think it's hard to say for sure. Uh, we have not yet been successful as a uh, as a specialty, either surgery or radiation oncology, at comparing head-to-head -head in a randomized trial to be sure of that answer about exactly which patients are best for surgery and which are best for radiation. Uh, we do know that when you compare them in terms of patients who receive surgery and receive radiation therapy, uh, that um, that those who have received surgery often have better outcomes than those who've had radiation therapy. But we don't know if that's because of the fact that uh, patients who, uh, who get radiation therapy may not always be candidates for surgery or may not be the best uh, suited for surgery either. Uh, so that's why we don't, have, we don't know for sure about that. Uh, typically, if patients can get surgery and if the surgeons believe that they can, uh, they can take the, the tumor out without causing too much of a functional deficit, meaning that, the, that your lung function can handle a surgery and that you as a patient can handle the surgery and recover well from it, if it's expected that can happen, then our gold standard still is surgery at this point. Uh, however, we believe that radiation, especially for those who are not good surgical candidates or meaning that uh, surgery would likely uh, lead to a major uh, issue with a quality of life going forward and that recovery may be too much for a patient, then we believe that radiation, especially this SBRT technique, uh, does achieve very good outcomes. Uh, we're still uh, working on trying to uh, complete a uh, clinical trial to try to compare surgery and radiation therapy for those who are eligible for either one. Uh, but it is it has been hard to uh, to get patients uh, to get enough patients on this clinical trial to answer the question fully so far. And so that clinical trial is currently open and enrolling. 
It is currently rolling at the VA currently. Uh, it's called the Valor study. Uh, there have been other clinical trials, such as the STARS and Roselle studies, that did not, uh, get, did not have enough patients to answer the question fully. But when they combined the results of those studies um, that they found uh, among the patients that they did have, that those who did receive SBRT, who were also eligible for surgery otherwise, but were uh, but did receive SBRT, did have very good outcomes and seemed um, to be just as good as surgery in those small number of patients. Uh, but we don't have enough patients yet um, on one of these randomized trials to know for sure if uh, if radiation uh, is a, is truly a, a fully adequate alternative for to surgery for those who can get surgery. Yeah. So, so important again, you know, I, I know on this show, I, I'm often standing on a soapbox talking about clinical trials, but if these two modalities truly are equivalent, you know, the only way that we're going to, in practice, offer SBRT to all patients um, is if we have the clinical trial data that compares head to head and demonstrates that they're equivalent. And, you know, if so far the signal is that um, based on, you know, kind of combining results of uh, trials that didn't meet their accrual target, it looks like these two are equivalent. Boy, it would really be a, a tremendous advance to avoid surgery in patients who could, uh, offering them SBRT. Am I, am I correct in assuming that SBRT has fewer side effects than surgery uh, long term? Or, or are there side effects to the SBRT as well that cause patients, you know, difficulties in breathing or, or reduced lung capacity and so on and so forth that they should be concerned about? Absolutely. So there are, uh, in the short term, we believe that uh, SBRT has shorter, has fewer side effects. Um, so often for patients who um, uh, may be older or have more other medical issues uh, and who may not be able to withstand the recovery very well from surgery in the short term, then we know that uh, SBRT, or we feel confident that SBRT is, uh, it has fewer side effects in that short term. However, as time goes by, I think the other issue here is long-term follow-up and long-term survival uh, as well uh, as, as side effects, is that the side effects do accumulate over time. And the more we've learned about SBRT, uh, which has been in uh, in widespread practice for only about 15 years now or so, um, not as long as surgery has been around. Um, so we don't have as much long-term data as, as surgery does. But we know in that three to five year period that um, as you go further along in that period, uh, close follow-up is really required because we need to uh, see how the side effects accumulate uh, potentially over time. And sometimes they don't uh, present themselves for a couple of years or, or a few years afterwards. Um, so we do want to watch closely for that because there can be side effects, especially with lung function overall, um, that, um, that the function itself as inflammation occurs and eventually scarring as part of the healing process um, is that, um, that ultimately we may see that the pulmonary function may decline more gradually over time compared to surgery where the decline tends to be a little on the sooner side. Um, so that's why it's really nuanced and subtle. Uh, uh, so, so there's some really some differences there, uh, but both of them have their risks and side effects. And that's why we encourage our patients to meet both the surgeons and the radiation oncologists who, uh, who have stage one disease uh, to really determine what exactly is expected for each individual patient. Um, the other thing about radiation is it, uh, it, just as it is for surgery, is it depends on 
where exactly within the lung that the, the tumor is arising from. Uh, so if it sits right in the middle of the lung, far away from other, or other organs, then the side effects may be less. However, if, if, it, if the tumor is closer to the esophagus or to the airways or to the ribs, uh, you might see other side effects uh, that, that are beyond the lung themselves. Uh, so, for example, if we get uh, treatment very close to the esophagus, we may expect that uh, we'll see some more difficulty with swallowing or painful swallowing, heartburn, things like that. Um, and then uh, if it's too close to the airways, we might see some bleeding in the, in, in, in more cough. If it's too close to the ribs or the chest wall um, or the back, sometimes we'll see some uh, pain that can arise even a couple of years afterwards. So it's not a benign treatment completely, um, but uh, the side effects generally are, are well tolerated uh, for most patients. And what about long-term side effects? I, I realize that you said that SBRT is relatively new in the past 15 years or so, but you know, with other cancers treated with radiation, people are often told about the possibility of secondary malignancies and worry about that, especially with uh, scarring that takes place and so on. Is that something that patients should be worried about in lung cancer treated with SBRT as well? I suppose it, it, it should be. because I mean, it's something we counsel our patients about. We don't know for sure if radiation really leads to, in the lung at least, if it really leads to significantly increased risk of other lung cancers down the road. Because often when patients get one lung cancer, depend, uh, really almost no matter what kind of treatment they get, they are often more prone to other lung cancers that we watch very closely for. Um, so if something comes back in an area that was previously radiated, uh, we may not know if that was because of the radiation or because that would have happened anyway. Uh, but we do see that sometimes where lung tumors do come up, uh, both in the areas where there was ra previous radiation as well as other areas of the lung or in the body that um, really had, had nothing, nothing to do with the radiation. Um, so hard to know for sure, uh, but it's something that we counsel our patients about, about that uh, theoretical risk um, that, um, that radiation uh, can uh, can lead to a second malignancy many years down the road. Uh, but it's, it seems to be less of a problem for lung cancer than it is for um, other kind of cancers like breast cancer. Good to, good to know. So we're going to take a short break for a medical minute and then come back and talk more about radiotherapy for lung cancer with my guest, Dr. Henry Park. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, promoting sun safety and skin cancer screening in honor of UV Safety Month. For information and to learn if you should be screened, visit yalecancercenter.org screening. The American Cancer Society estimates that nearly 150,000 people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year alone. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable, and men and women over the age of 45 should have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Patients with colorectal cancer have more hope than ever before thanks to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for colorectal cancer. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. 
Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Tragpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Henry Park. We're talking about radiotherapy for lung cancer, and right before the break, we were talking about the use of radiation therapy, and specifically SBRT, for the management of stage one or early stage uh, lung cancer. So, Henry, you were mentioning that radiation also may play a role in more advanced cancers, um, the locally advanced, still not metastatic. But one of the questions that often comes up is, you know, sometimes we use chemotherapy alone, and sometimes we use chemotherapy plus radiation combined at the same time. How do we make those decisions? So that's a very good question. We uh, uh, we do that based on seeing exactly where the disease has spread. So if it has gone to the lymph nodes that are still in the chest, uh, or if it's very advanced uh, tumor uh, in the lung that seems to be invading other structures in the chest, um, then that's often where we consider this to be locally advanced, but not metastatic, uh, meaning that it has not spread to other organs throughout the body, like the brain or the liver or other areas there. Um, so in that case, uh, we still do approach this with, a, with a, the intent to cure. Uh, so uh, we use some kind of combination typically of chemotherapy with radiation or some kind of combination of chemo with, uh, with surgery, uh, with or without radiation. Um, so those patients, uh, it really depends on, uh, again, the same, the uh, similar, uh, the similar uh, features that we look for in early stage lung cancer, given uh, how much the, uh, the patient can tolerate, uh, what, uh, how much they're willing to tolerate, um, as well as uh, the, uh, the amount of, of, of uh, the amount of disease that needs to be treated. Um, the surgeons will weigh in about how much lung would have to be removed in order to, uh, to do the adequate surgery. And we will weigh in about how much uh, uh, of the normal organs nearby will receive radiation therapy and, and how much we think the patient can take. And ultimately, we'll be able to come up with a recommendation about what the best approach is to con- usually combine uh, at least two types of therapy and, and sometimes three in order to uh, achieve the best outcomes. So... In early stage breast cancer, in early stage lung cancer, uh, you talked a little bit about deciding between surgery and radiation, and, and I think we we get the concept that both surgery and radiation therapy are are local modalities designed to treat um, the lung cancer in the lung itself. So one question that comes up is, you know. If my cancer is resectable, so I'm going to get, say I've got a locally advanced lung cancer, I'm going to get chemotherapy, the surgeons say it's resectable, how do you decide then whether to add more radiation therapy or whether to leave it with the surgery alone? So often we decide that we don't add more radiation therapy afterwards, or we don't add radiation therapy at all afterwards. It's a conversation with the surgeon about whether or not they're, uh, how certain they are, they think they can resect this uh, tumor after the chemotherapy. Uh, sometimes they may prefer to have chemo and radiation together before surgery, or they may prefer to have the chemotherapy alone before surgery. Um, we used to also do more radiation therapy after surgery, but like you mentioned before, clinical trials being so important, uh, there's been a recent clinical trial this past year that showed that for those uh, patients who had uh, certain types of lymph nodes or in certain locations, that adding radiation therapy after surgery may not be as necessary as we once thought. 
And so far, the five-year survival numbers have just been released as well uh, for stage three disease and are at least 10% higher than we've uh, ever seen um, in, in, in uh, really any clinical trial, either involving surgery or not involving surgery. Wow. So again, I mean, I just, I can't, uh, I can't emphasize enough how important these clinical trials are to really moving the field forward. Are all patients eligible for immunotherapy now, given that data? Or uh, do we look for certain biomarkers um, to decide whether or not they would be candidates for that? Well, most patients are eligible for it after chemotherapy and radiation therapy if they have stage 3 disease. We may not always give it afterwards, depending on their response to the chemotherapy and radiation. So we'd require before receiving that, that we have another scan that shows that there's not new disease elsewhere already uh, starting. Uh, we'd also want to be sure that uh, patients are, are, have, have tolerated the chemotherapy and radiation well enough to start the immune therapy. And there's other biomarkers like pdl one that are very helpful in determining how likely uh, the patient is to respond to immunotherapy as well. Uh, right now, uh, we still do offer it even for those who do not have the pdl one marker that's positive, um, but uh, it, it may not be uh, as helpful in those patients as it is for those who have a high pdl one expression. So given those data then, uh, the fact that we offer immunotherapy regardless of pdl one status, and the fact that the clinical trials have demonstrated that chemoradiation therapy followed by immune therapy without surgery um, offers tremendous survival uh, benefits. Do we ever offer surgery to stage three patients anymore? We still do. Uh, I think there's certain, certain circumstances still where we don't know what the role is yet of surgery with immunotherapy is. Um, and, uh, and if we still get good outcomes from, let's say, chemo with surgery afterwards or chemo and radiation, then surgery afterwards. And we saved the immunotherapy, uh, which didn't really exist during the time of the surgical trials, then, um, you know, could we still get good outcomes from that? We believe we may be able to. Uh, we still don't have that clinical trial data yet to prove that yet. But as we move forward, um, there's other uh, trials that are, are currently being considered right now about combining immune therapy with surgery as well. Um, and uh, e even in the earlier stage setting, that's, I think, becoming more and more uh, studied over time is, is seeing if that is going to be uh, helpful. Um, uh, and and uh, as the months and, and even, even as the days and weeks go by, uh, new data comes out all the time from clinical trials that uh, change the way we think about uh, the best way of treating stage three lung cancer. And so when we were talking about stage one and even locally advanced up to stage three lung cancer, you use the term curative intent. Um, and can you explain to our listeners what you mean by curative intent and, and what the alternative is? Sure. So the curative intent, uh, the concept there is that we are hoping to eliminate the tumor so that it does not grow and come back at any point in, in the patient's life. Um, are we always successful at that? No, uh, but we, we would approach it with the, the intention of doing that. And that's opposed to palliative intent, where the goal is to, um, is to help with alleviate symptoms that may come up. Uh, for example, if uh, the disease has, uh, has already spread outside of the chest, uh, we may be uh, approaching the disease more in that capacity in terms of the treatments that we may offer. However, in the past five to 10 years, 
Um, there's a lot of wiggle room in between where we may not necessarily believe we uh, will completely eradicate the tumor uh, with uh, any combination of therapies, but that uh, we believe we can extend survival and ex extend disease control for years uh, afterwards. And we're often successful at doing that. Um, and, and that's often uh, a, a, an important goal for a lot of patients is to live as long as possible and to turn their cancer into more of a chronic disease. And I think we're seeing that more and more with the uh, advent of immune therapy, better combinations with surgery and chemotherapy and radiation therapy, um, as well as targeted therapy that uh, specifically targets certain mutations, uh, especially in lung cancer, um, that can often, even if they are not specifically curative, uh, they may give patients multiple years of extra life um, and, and time before they require other kinds of therapies. So so when you say that, I mean, you're referring to stage four or metastatic uh, patients in whom, you know, we can still get many, many years of good quality of life. Tell us more about the use of radiation therapy in those circumstances. So more and more we're using, um, because we're seeing such um, improved outcomes from our, our excellent systemic therapies, meaning the chemotherapies and immune therapies, um, and, and also targeted therapies, radiation has an increasing role as well in stage four patients. Uh, we used to be limited to alleviating symptoms, which radiation is very effective in doing over a very low dose and a short period of time. However, with this SBRT technique that we've been using for stage one uh, lung cancer, we often use this in the metastatic setting, um, especially for those who have disease called oligometastatic disease. And what this means is that only a few spots, maybe one or three or even five spots, uh, may, be, uh, may be present that's outside of the lung. Uh, and if we can use either surgery or radiation, some kind of local therapy to address those areas after uh, systemic therapy has worked well for a patient, um, then we may be able to really extend their, their time uh, without needing systemic therapy and having good disease control. Uh, so it's something that we're seeing uh, improved survival from clinical trials recently when you add uh, radiation or surgery in very selected populations, meaning those who've responded well uh, to their systemic therapy uh, and who have a limited number and, uh, and, and, and treatable areas uh, where we can use surgery or radiation. Um, these, uh, you know, these patients have, we've been, we've been able to show that they've been able to live longer um, than they would have otherwise. Yeah, you know, we, we've talked a lot in this show so far about clinical trials, and historically, people have always thought that clinical trials were only for patients who had no other option, patients who um, had stage four disease. Um, but it sounds like that clearly is not the case, and, and that, you know, there are clinical trials that are offered across various different stages um, to allow patients to get um, the best therapies. What what clinical trials are currently ongoing that you're most excited about? Uh, we have uh, a, a, a lot of clinical trials ongoing right now at Yale in lung cancer, uh, but specific to radiation, we actually have three right now for stage one disease. So exactly the opposite of what uh, we had been used to seeing for clinical trials in that they're really often used, like you're saying, for patients um, as a, a sort of a last resort. It's really the opposite for us where we're 
trying to approach this, uh, we're trying to improve the standard of care uh, even more so um, uh, for at all stages of disease. Uh, so, for example, stage one lung cancer, we do have um, a uh, we have two clinical trials, uh, one that's currently active and one that is about to open rel- uh, fairly soon. That look at the idea of SBRT with immune therapy uh, for stage one disease. So half the patients will get the standard of care radiation therapy, and half the patients will also get immune therapy as well. And that's our way of studying to see if we'll get even better outcomes with SBRT and with immune therapy and try to prevent uh, recurrences that happen elsewhere in the body, in the lymph nodes or elsewhere. Um, so th- I'm very, very excited about those uh, studies. And I also have a study of my own as well that looks at um, a clinical trial that's looking at a fewer number of sessions of SBRT for those tumors that are a little closer to the middle of the chest um, and trying to make it more convenient and uh, for patients to only come in uh, to, uh, to come in three times instead of five times for tumors that are closer to the middle of the chest. Dr. Henry Park is an assistant professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca.